And so that's where we are. And this past week, I talked to them about the power of your conscience, actually, in our hyphen Bible study. And I knew that once I started sort of looking at that, I realized that, you know what, I probably need to teach that to everyone. And so a part of me, uh, this will be somewhat different, but yet they will have heard a lot of it. And it comes from the gospel according to Jiminy Cricket. And if you've never heard the song or you've never read the story of Pinocchio or seen the old video, I don't know, they may have a new one out, but all I remember was the old one and that was the guy in the old one. And he would sing a little song called Give a Little Whistle. And it ended up with always let your conscience be your guide. And when Pinocchio would get in trouble and he would start telling us lie, his nose would grow long and there was this whole fight and Jiminy would try to keep him out of trouble and they would applaud and uh, he would sing, I got no strings to hold me down and he enjoyed it and yet he found out how terrible life was. If you don't remember that story, wait till you have grandchildren or until you have great-grandchildren or something and you'll remember the story of Pinocchio or go out. It might be a good, uh, it might be on, I don't know if it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, Hulu or Guru or you probably can find it out there somewhere in uh, video world and watch it on your phone sometime and sing, give a little whistle and say, you know what, when you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, well, the idea was that you whistled for Jiminy Cricket or you let your conscience be your guide. Now, why is that important and what is the conscience? Well, the conscience is what really... (coughs) makes us, distinguishes us from animals. You know, uh, most animals, uh, no matter what, you know, we, we may say they communicate with one another, but they don't really have a conscience that we know of. You know, they don't go into a little depression, you know, if uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, if a, a raccoon steals a turkey's eggs, uh, that raccoon doesn't sit there at night and wonder, I wonder how that mama turkey feels right now and she's missing her eggs and maybe I shouldn't have eaten those eggs. That We don't believe that that raccoon will have any sense of shame or guilt or bad feeling uh, because that's what your conscience does. It, it pricks your heart or mind after you've done something and maybe you've felt it. Usually a lot of times your conscience shows up about bedtime, you know, and you're laying there on the bed and your mind starts playing all the things that were said today, all the things that you did today, all that stuff, and you start saying, oh me, oh my, what did I do? How did that happen? Why did I, and then why did they say that? Why did I? And yet what's unfortunate is that your conscience can be 
sort of conditioned by your environment. We, we uh, will talk about from a psychological standpoint of people that grew up without a conscience or that have no sense of guilt or remorse or what we would call a flat affect. They're hard. They're not going to be. And most of the time, they have grown up in a, in a harsh environment or an abusive situation. And they, they have no feeling. So it doesn't matter. They have been abused and, uh, and been done wrong. And so maybe they don't appear to be moved at all by any feelings of any remorse or feelings of any kind of thing that's happened. And so what I said was, unfortunately for us, the conscience doesn't pre-warn us. In other words, it doesn't quicken our mind or heart and say, if you do that, you're going to feel bad tonight. If you say that, you're going to be awake. Doesn't do that. It doesn't pre-warn us. That's what the Holy Ghost is there for, is to sort of quicken our hearts and minds before that fact. But God placed a conscience in everyone, even Gentiles before the law. Paul addressed this in the New Testament. He was very clear when he was writing about how that the Jews had the law and therefore they did not have excuses for violating the law. But he said when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things that are contained in the law. That nature there where reference they feel, they conscience, they know it's bad. Somehow they knew it was bad. But they also, the danger of not having a law is that you become a law unto yourself. You decide how much you want to do and if that feels bad and you can just you know uh, he, he wrote it said which show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts of the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another and that's what our conscience will do it will either accuse you or excuse you it either says, well, that wasn't so bad. You know what? They deserve, they needed to be told off. Someone needed to be there and give them a come to Jesus meeting. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so we go through that wrestling match at night. And we're, <clears throat> was that really what I should have done? Was that? But I should have done. And then the Bible says, in that day, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. What do you mean? That there is a standard now with, with regard to the word of God. When you become a Christian, when you embrace, I want to follow Christ, then it's not we have a standard by which to judge our behavior. 
and it's called the Word of God. And all of a sudden, uh, your conscience is beginning to be, if you will, take out the stony heart of flesh uh, and the hard heart, and you're beginning to be given sort of a, a softer heart and, and a heart that somehow is sort of, uh, you know, free from uh, the hardness of accusing or excusing or whatever. Now, where did the conscience start? Well, the conscience started in the garden. We see it show up. There was the age of innocence. The Bible says they were naked and not ashamed. There was no feeling of shame. There was no feeling of guilt. There was no feeling of doing wrong. And this was, um, you know, and I put here on this slide, it's what we call the dispensation. For those of you who understand uh, theological talk, that dispensation of innocence. And then the next dispensation is called what? Any of you scholars? Conscience. Wow, great. Y'all got it. Say it together. Conscience. Hello? Conscience. Right? Because the conscience was formed after sin. And what happened was Eve took of the fruit. Eve had not been given the command by God, but had been given the command by Adam. Adam was told not to eat of the fruit before Eve was even made. That's in the second chapter. And Adam eats after Eve eats. And the Bible says when he eats, the eyes of them both were open. And what did they do? They tried to cover up. The conscience came up. They knew somehow they had violated that God part that was in them. They knew they had disobeyed. They had one law and they knew they had broken it. Don't eat of this fruit. So they, the word of God, and, and they tried to cover up. And when, you know, that's kind of what we do when our conscience gets to working on us, we try to cover up. I'm not as bad as this one. I'm not that bad. I'm not, it's not quite that bad. And then what happens next is the blame game, remember? Now, what's amazing about this, and I told the hyphen group, is that God went and looked for Adam and Eve. They didn't go searching for God. And, but let me tell you something. You are here not because you came looking for God. Believe it or not, the New Testament says, don't let any man say that I love God. Rather, first God loves me. God came drawing me. And so if we're here this morning and we're thankful for all of our visitors and guests, it's no accident that you're here. God has brought you to this place because he wants to deal with your heart and mind and give you some tools to whereby you can all of a sudden re re recognize the enemy is going to try to beat you up in this hour and you can say but greater is he that's in me you can receive the Holy Ghost today and be buried in his name it's no ha you know accident but the blame game began when the Lord said to, oh, that's what came out of there. Sorry. All right, try to do better. Getting excited. <laughs> when the Lord went to Adam, said, where are you? 
What did Adam say? I heard your voice. And what happened? I was afraid, so that's where fear comes in, because I was naked and I hid myself. So when I get to feeling bad, I, I get afraid. I realize what I've done and I try to hide, cover up. And then when I'm confronted with my conscience, I start the blame game. When God talks to me and I say, well, you know, Lord, it really isn't my fault. The woman you gave me, she did it. That's what Adam said. And so the Lord said, well, hey, Eve, how about you? And she said, well, you know, Lord, really, that snake that you put in the garden, you should have never put him in the garden. I mean, what is a girl to do? He was smarter than the average snake. <laughs> and yet, Eve and Adam had nothing they could blame but themselves. I, and I put here, there, there was no competition for Adam or for Eve. It wasn't like Adam had dated other girls and then finally chose Eve. It wasn't like Eve had had several boyfriends and finally chose Adam. And she was wondering if it was really God's will that I chose this guy. <laughs> there were no, no doubts. <laughs> there was no, did I do the right thing? Did we make a mistake 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago? And I've seen people that have wrestled with all the problems that happened when I was 8 and 10 and 15 and, huh? There were no insecurities. You know, it wasn't like, man, look at all these guys losing weight, younger than me. I, bet I need to be careful, huh? Somebody will be wanting them. To... No insecurities. No look in the mirror. In fact, I don't even think they had mirrors. It was no like, well, her hair looks better than mine. I wonder who? Huh? So no feelings of inferiority. There was no one to blame. There was no one to pass the buck to. And yet they found somebody. And there was no question about what God's will was. Well, I wonder if I was in the will of God 20 years ago when I married old Eve. 42 years ago when I married that old lady there over there. I wonder if I was in the will of God. I wonder if I was a big mistake. I wonder if I, huh? It's none of that. Because guess what? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> there was nobody else. There was no question. Well, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have, okay. No environmental issues. No understanding. Well, I wonder what my purpose was. You know, if I should have been a bricklayer or if I should have been a doctor or a lawyer or a butcher or a baker or if I should have been a missionary. There wasn't any of that. There was nothing in which to hook 
their conscience too that would sort of beat them up and yet those are things that we have right now and we have all the time because every one of us that are sitting in here and the sound of my voice have been hurt or have hurt somebody else. Somebody has been hurt. Somebody has done you wrong. Somebody has done something to you. Somebody has wounded your conscience. Jesus himself was offended. In fact, the word in the Greek is scandalon or a scandal. When you remember when he turned to Simon Peter and he said, get behind me and he said, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. Because whenever Jesus had said, I'm going to Jerusalem to be crucified. And Simon said, no, you're not. Well, he said, that offends me, Simon. You're supposed to be my friend. You're supposed to be my disciple. You're not supposed to be telling me what to do. I'm God manifesting the flesh. I need to be telling you. It's offensive that you think you need to tell me what I'm doing. And yet, what do we do when we know we've hurt someone? We either ignore what we've done, we hide, we blame others, we become overwhelmed with shame, we simply justify or cauterize ourselves to what's happened. In other words, just say, I'm not going to feel that. I'm not going to feel what it felt like to maybe hurt that person that way. I'm not going to allow myself to feel what that might have felt like. I don't want to go there. I'm going to ignore that. I'm not going to, I'm going to pretend that didn't happen. None of us have ever done that. I'm talking about conscience. But what unfortunately, when you start cauterizing that God part in you and making that hard, searing it, the Bible says, with a hot iron, cauterizing it, what happens is that it begins to produce bitterness and resentment and hurts and I can't have a free flow of the Holy Ghost to wash my mind and my heart and my inside so that I can stand before him like David did and say, cleanse me, Lord, wash me, renew me. I just simply say... It's not as bad as what somebody else has done. And I thank God I'm not like them. And I thank God I'm not that bad. Huh? This is the conscience. So, sorry. We're plowing our way through here, just trying to help you understand some of this. And yet, when you realize that you know, maybe it is that sense of I will cauterize myself. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't God want me to? I tell myself all kinds of things. I don't really think that's what the Bible says. I don't think that people ought to be that way. I don't think that Christians, are, it doesn't matter. It's all about what I think because it's my conscience and yet Paul told Timothy, he said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what were they? 
seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, pretending to be something they're not, and having their conscience, what? Seared with a hot iron. In other words, I don't want to be challenged. I don't like to be challenged. I don't want to have anybody challenge me. And, and he goes on to say, forbidding to eat meat, forbidding to marry, abstaining to eat meats from God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And so he was even talking about this to Timothy, who was a minister, who was saying that, you know, sometimes people will be this way and, and be very hard and very rigid. This is the same spirit that Jesus dealt with when he dealt with the Pharisees, whenever they became very rigid and they became very regimented in their sense of, you know, what happens is that I'm doing this, but it's no longer about me, it's about you. Because I can judge you. And then I can feel good about what I'm doing because I'm not as bad as that guy. See, he's worse than me, so therefore I'm okay. That's when it's wrong. What we do for God when God deals with us, it's not about judging you. It's about letting the Holy Ghost convict me. You understand what I'm saying? Let's go on. Next slide here. Uh, let me see if I can maybe go through this. And you'll understand it a little better. That sense of, I'm not that bad. I shouldn't be judged. Titus said it like this. Paul wrote, to Titus, unto the pure, all things are what? Pure. But unto those that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is what? Defiled. They profess to know God, but in works, they deny him. Now, I know we don't want to preach about works because you're not saved by works. I agree with that. Works don't save you. But the Holy Ghost is going to want to get into changing what you do. And you say, well, are you saying it's a bunch of rules and you got to do this to be holy? You can't be holy. God is able but to help you be more like him. But the point of it all is, is it's not me to be able to judge you it's I have to stand before the judgment seat for me. And the conscience can be something that will help me work on the Lord can use as a thing. You know what? You need to work on that. You got a little angry today. You were driving down the highway. You need to pray through that. Pastor, huh? You didn't pray for them when they despitefully used you. When they said something about you, you kind of lost what, huh? Because here he said, their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess to know God, but in their works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and every good work reprobate. Now, I, I realize 
that what there's a ditch on both sides of the road and and you know you're trying to do right you're trying to do right and when you fail from what God's put in your mind immediately you can justify it and say but I'm not as bad as that guy boy that guy over there because that's what the Pharisees did remember they were standing there in prayer and I'm praising the Lord and praying, oh, God, help me. And I look around and I go, well, thank God I'm not as bad as that guy. And guess what's happened at that moment? I have soothed my conscience. Maybe the Lord was dealing with that Pharisee at that moment. That You know what? You need to be a little nicer. And immediately... Well, I'm not so bad. I'm not as bad as that guy. Huh? All of a sudden, I place the blame. That's why the Lord would say prostitutes and tax collectors will go into heaven ahead of some of them. Why? Because when a person comes before God and says, Lord, I need you, this is not about anybody else. This is not about my husband, my wife, my kids. It's not about what they, this is about, I need your presence today. This is about me and you standing in an hour in a place of prayer. Oh, you say, well, you know what? Well, the Holy Ghost, you know, is not going to work on our deeds. Yes, he is going to work on your deeds. The Holy Ghost is not going to work on our, our, our thoughts. Yes, he is going to work on your thoughts. The Holy Ghost, yes, that's what, the, that's what the whole purpose of the Holy Ghost was. Read it. St. John, the 16th chapter, Jesus himself said that when the, I must go away, but when I go away, the comforter will come. And what is the purpose of the comforter? He is going to reprove the world of what? sin. The Holy Ghost is going to want to correct some of your bad behavior. And so then the point is when I come in and I feel the presence of the Lord and the Lord washes me and washes my mind and then and if I leave out of the presence of the Lord and there is nothing that I don't think I can work on, I don't know that I've really gotten into the presence of the Lord like I should have, I've, huh? I've justified myself. If every service, every time I pray, I mean, you can be feeling great. I, Friday morning, I, I woke up 5.45, 5.30, didn't have my alarm set. Man, the sun was coming up and I was praying. I got up out of bed and was praying. And at 7.45, I went in and I said to my wife, I said, I missed early morning prayer at church. I've been walking around the house praying, reading, and I missed going to church and praying. I felt bad. I felt horrible. My conscience smote me. Why didn't I set my alarm? Why didn't I look at my cam ca calendar? Why didn't I like, check my phone? I hadn't done any of that. I had been up praying. I guess the Lord woke me up. I said, thank the Lord for all those that were praying and woke me up. <laughs> but what happens is the Holy Ghost 
Ghost will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And yet most of us don't want to feel conviction. Most of us don't want to feel shame. Most of us don't want to feel bad. I didn't like, I felt, man, I had felt good about all that I was praying. And then I went from good to bad. Most of us don't like that. And I, I thought, well, I need to call them and apologize. Then I thought, no, that's foolish because it's not them. I said, I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I got up, I prayed, but I missed it. And so I had, why? Because I can either, at that moment, when I feel a shame or conviction, I either, that becomes a door for the accuser of the brethren to beat me up all day. Okay, you blew it, you didn't go, you're a bad guy. Or I can say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Huh? And get up and let the Lord heal my conscience and let the Spirit, huh? Because the enemy can also use our conscience to try to accuse us. So it's either our conscience can excuse us Or accuse us. Our conscience either beats us up or it justifies us. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So you say, well, pastor, what are we supposed to do? This is depressing. Well, I hope it's not that depressing. I want you to understand that... uh, All the way in the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah, the Bible says that Joshua the high priest, now this is not Joshua that led them out of the wilderness into the promised land, but this is Joshua the high priest, came standing before the Lord and Satan was at his right hand to do what? To resist him. And that Joshua, the high priest, was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Now, just for those of you who may not understand the Old Testament, let me explain to you that out of everybody being the best dressed in the Old Testament, in the camp of Israel, the high priest was always the best dressed. He had a solid white tunic that he wore under it. He had a golden ephod. He had days that he didn't go into the Holy of Holies. He wore this miters. He had shoulder pads. He had a big hat. He had a big thing across the top. He had this purple tunic thing that went over his He was dressed to the nines. Very expensively dressed, very, and here he was in his finery, and yet the devil said, those are filthy garments. And he stood before, the Bible says, not an angel, but the angel, as if it was God himself. 
And he spoke these words to him. The angel did. Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee and will clothe thee with a change of raiment. For the stone that I have led, laid before Joshua of on one stone shall have seven eyes and, and the engraving thereof the Lord of hosts and will remove the iniquity of that land in one day that whole that whole prophecy by Zechariah talks about the stone with the seven eyes which is like the seven spirits of God which is found in Revelation and in Isaiah 61 and in Revelation the first chapter, second chapter, the third chapter rather and the fourth chapter it talks about the seven spirits of God. It talks about being given a new stone with a new name written in it. I want to tell you that what Jesus was trying to prophesy through the Old Testament to Zechariah about Joshua was no matter how, who you are from the high priest on down every one of us are going to have to have a change of garments every one of us are going to have to have the Lord put a new garment of praise on us for a spirit of heaviness everybody has got to stand before his presence and say I need the Lord I need God to heal me to justify me to wash me to cleanse me and that should happen in every service because if it doesn't, he is the only one that can remove the iniquity in one day. If he doesn't, if I don't constantly humble myself and say, you know, if I come and I say, well, I'm apostolic and I don't need anything. I don't need this. I don't need to pray. God bless you. You can pray. Hallelujah. I'm good because I've been a part of that church for over a hundred years and I'm good. I'm not good. There's none good but God. I need God to wash me again today. I need it. It doesn't matter whether it's from the high priest, the pastor, on down to the whoever comes in. I need God to cleanse my iniquity. Oh, you say, but I don't want to hear about anything bad that I've done. I understand that. I don't want to hear about anything bad that I've done. I don't want anybody to tell me anything bad, but I want you to understand that there is something about that is so cleansing about coming in to the presence of Almighty God. No matter what I've done yesterday, no matter what I did Friday whether it's my fault it wasn't my fault no matter what the enemy brings up I am able to boldly go before the throne of grace and obtain mercy I am by the blood of Jesus Christ I am able to go and immediately you say well what do I do whenever I'm being bombarded at night start reading some of the Psalms that David wrote or start turning in your word and just simply say a prayer Lord wash me, cleanse me, help me, give me a, 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 a quicken my mind tomorrow so I won't do it. Help me to set my alarm better. Whatever it is I don't want to fall into that trap but I need your cleansing and if I don't ever feel that need for cleansing, something's wrong. Because I've either cauterized my conscience or I have allowed it to beat me up it doesn't matter who you are, just like Zechariah said. That's why in the New Testament, the Lord said it through John's gospel when he says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in deed, tongue, but love in deed and truth. 
But here's, here how as we know we're in the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For our heart, if our heart condemn us, what? God is greater than our heart. What are you saying? When the devil tries to accuse you, you say, well, I don't know if it's the devil or the Holy Ghost. I don't know if the Holy Ghost is trying to change. Then ask the Lord to forgive you. Put it under the blood. Ask the Lord to help give you strength. <laughs> ask the Lord to take it. Remove it. And then you say, well, what, what are you saying, Pastor? Then, you know, repent. Turn around from it. And if, and if all of a sudden you feel bad again, the next and five minutes later, then say, that one's not from God. Because I just put that, oh, that one under the blood. You're bringing it up again. That must not be the right voice. <laughs> oh, you say, well, I did something else yesterday. Well, then repent for that one. Don't drag it up again. What are you saying? He said, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Now, what's so powerful about this verse, and I, and I, want, to understand, I want you to hear it and understand it, is the fact that he says, Behold, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You see, if your conscience is seared or is bad or is trying to convict you, when you come into the house of the Lord, you know, the Lord's working on you. He's trying to tell you, you know, you shouldn't have done that. And you know, the preacher and I, uh, and so all service, you know, the songs and whatever, and I'm wrestling with it. I can't really pray to ask God for anything because I've got a seared conscience I'm in trouble and guess who the Lord's going to work on first so I can come up here and say oh God but I don't have anything that's what John said he said when your heart does not condemn you you have a confidence toward God that you are able to boldly go into the throne room. That's why the enemy will use his conscience to try to beat us up because he does not want confident Christians coming in saying, you know what, bless God, yes, I had a rough week, but I prayed through this morning. I asked God to forgive me this morning. I felt the blood of Jesus wash me one more time, and now I'm coming to the house of the Lord. Let me tell you, I'm ready to pray for every need. I'm ready to believe God why? Because I'm coming in with my mind washed and my heart washed and I'm ready to get something and do something for somebody else. But when I am searing my conscience, then I'm wrestling with that justification all the time. I can sit there and serve it. Well, yeah, but I'm not as bad. Look over there. Look, I knew those people. They shouldn't have been there. I don't know what they're now. Huh? And I'm not able to pray through. What are you saying? I... I I know. Hallelujah. Let me, let me go on. First Timothy. Paul wrote to Timothy. Now the end of the commandment is charity. What's another word for charity? Love. Out of what? A pure heart. And of a good conscience. And of faith unfeigned. In other words, we're living in an hour of manipulation and lying and huh he said but that's not what God wants he wants 
love from a pure heart, a good conscience, from which some have swerved, having turned aside unto vain jangling. You know what vain jangling is? Look it up sometime. The Greek. Do you think that God really is that interested in whether dogs go to heaven or cats go to heaven? Or are you saying that the Lord was on the cross but was not vain jangling? Anything that will distract you from what God's trying to do in you. And I have seen, having pastored long enough, people that will get caught up in all kinds of stuff that they want to talk about and they want answers to. And pastor, what were the red eyes and the green frogs that fell in Revelation all about? Did those six red eyes mean that there was six? You know what? I, I don't know. But one thing I do know is Jesus went to Calvary his blood was shed. He wants to wash you. He wants to wash me. Oh, and there are people that can get you on Facebook and they can get you on every other social media and get involved with what I call vain jangling. That's called Facebook right there. That's, that was the original Greek. They want to tell you some little thing that they understood and that they got and that they have that nobody else has. And he said, but let me tell you something. We know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. He wasn't saying that the law was bad. Some people say, well, I'm so glad I'm under grace and I'm not under the law and nothing, no, I don't ever feel conviction. Well, God bless you. You don't ever have the Holy Ghost. Letting him reign through because the Holy Ghost is supposed to convict us of sin. That's what Jesus said. And if I don't ever feel that conviction, then I never get better. It's not a bad thing to feel conviction. It means that I run to the cross. It's what, if it law is used lawfully, it's a good thing. He said, knowing this, that the law was not made for the righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for the sinners, the unholy, the profane, the murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers. It goes on through a list. You ought to read it. It'll curl your hair, especially if you read it in the message. If you read it in another version, all the sins that it's talking about here, he said all of those things that are contrary to the doctrine. What? What are you talking about? The Lord is wanting to purify my conscience and he's wanting to get me where all of a sudden whenever I come into the presence of the Lord, I feel that, the, oh, the Lord has washed me. The Lord has touched me. The Lord, I need your touch, Lord. I need your presence, Lord. What are you saying, Pastor? I, I realize, I, I realize that 
we are, are living in an hour when people can hurt us, people can do things. And I, I, I'm going to just read you a, a couple more slides and then I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm going a little over time here. But, but you go back in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel, the 13th chapter. And it's, a, it's an unbelievable chapter. I've never preached from it because it's too hard. It's too embarrassing. It's too, it's too raw. It's too heavy. It's about one of the daughters of David by the name of Tamar and her brother Absalom and another stepbrother or half-brother by the name of Amnon. And, and those of you who've read it know the story. It's lurid. It's, it's horrific. There's all kinds of abuse and there's all kinds of dysfunction and there's all kinds of conniving and manipulation and pretending that there's love and all these kinds of horrible things that go on in that chapter. If you want to read a horrible chapter, read First Samuel the third, Second Samuel the 13th chapter. It'll curl your hair. And what's so horrible about that is David gets mad and the Bible says he was very angry but he wouldn't say anything. David didn't step in as the dad. He didn't take hold. He didn't do anything to protect his daughter. He ignored the fact. He allowed it to happen and he did nothing about it. Maybe that was because of what happened in the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel where David had committed sin with Bathsheba. I don't know what bound his hands but David refused to be a dad to his own daughter. You read the story and it's horrific. Yes. And the response in Tamar is shattering. Because the Bible says Tamar had begged her brother, don't do this. Please don't do it. Let's get married. Don't do it. And then afterwards her brother cast her out of his own house. Horrific. The Bible says that Tamar went down to the ash pit, put ashes on her head, ripped her garment, her beautiful robe, of many colors that designated her as a princess, and she went and laid her hand on her head and went to Absalom's house. And uh, we have no record that Tamar ever showed her face in public again. She had been hurt. She had been done wrong. She had been totally messed up. She was crying. Fast forward to the New Testament when Jesus is asked to read the Bible one Sunday morning and preach. Actually, it was a Friday, I guess, or Saturday. He picks up the Old Testament flips through to Isaiah, the 61st chapter. Remember the portion that he read? Isaiah 61. <clears throat> Next slide. Oh, is it me? Sorry. Isaiah 61. Read the whole chapter sometime. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prisoners to them that are bound, to declare the acceptable year of the Lord, and to point unto them that mourn in Zion, and to give them beauty for ashes, 
the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What are you saying? That's what Calvary was all about. That's why he took the shame of being spit on. That's why he took the shame of having his beard plucked. That's why he took the shame of being made fun of, of being mocked, of all of that, was so that when we come before him with whatever we, the enemy or the world or parents or anybody has done to us, I am able to step into his presence and he puts on a different robe on me. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Why? So that you might be a priest of the Lord and a minister of our God. You say, what are you talking about? The Lord wants you to be a priest of God. He wants you to, what do you mean? Bringing a sacrifice of praise. So when I come into the house of the Lord, I should be able to say in just a moment, it doesn't have to take 30 minutes, it doesn't have to take an hour, but I just need to say, Lord, wash me again with your spirit. Touch me again with your presence. I want you to wash my conscience. I want you to give me, let me know, convict me when I'm wrong. I don't want to justify it. I don't want to excuse and I don't want to accuse. I just want to be more like you. And as I come in, all of a sudden, uh, he takes the ashes away and he gives me beauty for ashes. Tamar, unfortunately, lived her life out in her brother's house with a destroyed conscience. The shame and guilt of what had been done to her. Unfortunately, David, who had done this same kind of thing, just as bad, knew how to say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Wash me. If I've done anything, I wish David would have been able to tell his daughter, honey, let me tell you how you can get this fixed. Just come and raise your hands and let the Lord wash you. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I, I taught it to the hyphen. I asked them, Caitlin, to teach it again. Why? Because I don't want these young folks being beat up by what they've done or haven't done. If they feel convicted, pray through it. Huh? Ask the Lord. Don't let the accuser beat you up. Don't let him beat you up one day after another for what you've done that's wrong. Bring it to the blood and say, Lord, I'm plunging it under the blood. I want you to give me beauty for ashes, the oil of joy. Why? Because I want to be a minister, a priest of God, a minister of the Lord. What do you mean? I want to bring a sacrifice of praise. in a prayer of repentance. You to pray with me. Lord, Lord, if I've done anything to offend you this I, week, if I've done anything to offend you this week, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to wash my mind. 
I ask you to wash. I ask you to wash my heart. I ask you to wash. I ask you to wash my emotions. I ask you to wash my emotions. All of my actions that displeased you, I ask you to cover in your blood. All my actions that displeased you, I ask you to cover in your blood. I want to be your minister today. I want to be your minister today. Is there any ministers here now that can offer a sacrifice of praise? The altar is open. Hallelujah. 